It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, weighing recent data heavier than season-long data, why quarterback play is down around the league, and how to interpret coach speak and turn it into betting opportunities. That and more on today's episode of 90 Degrees. Welcome to the 90 Degrees Podcast, where we take an inside look into the sports betting industry. I'm your host, George Sofidis, and I'm excited because today I've got Sam Hoffman, data scientist for Fantasy Pros, joining me. Sam, thanks for doing this. George, thanks for having me on. I've had a, I'm very humbled to be on. There are a lot of people I look up to who have, have been on this feed before, so uh, very honored to, to get to join that list. I'm I'm glad uh, to have you on. I like to follow uh, a lot of data scientists, people who put out charts that I just find interesting tidbits, and I'm like l- l- randomly will like stuff so I can revisit in the future. And this is how I got into like following Arjun Menon and Tay Seth, and I've had them on before. And I'm like, you know what? I I think it, it just got to the point where like. I just kept seeing your name pop up in my feed and, and I liked what you were creating. And I think I just messaged you like, man, I really like the the data you put out. You want to join me on the pod? Cause I, I'd love to talk football with you. So I'm thankful for the work you do and I'm thankful to have you. Well, thank you very much. I, I very much look up to, to Tej and Arjun as well. They put out great content and are both still in undergrad or, or have just, graduated from undergrad so they've uh certainly set themselves up for success here down the road oh yeah i i'm pretty good at identifying rising stars and uh i i think those two are going to be ultra successful in their careers i want to ask you what was your introduction to football i'm in canada um in toronto and it's not our national sport you know hockey is what like is beat into us we had the blue jays young Football is not something you get into until a few years later. It's usually like a family member introduces it to you. What age are you when football becomes a thing in your life? A couple of years in, I, I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and there's famously not much in Green Bay outside of the Packers, cheese and beer. So from a very young age, grew up rooting for the Packers, going to games and enjoying football uh, like many people watching it on Sundays with with your dad and getting to enjoy and I think the earliest memory I have of watching a football game was Brett Favre's Monday night football game against the Raiders after his dad had passed and just him lighting lighting it up in in an emotional game so a lot of a lot of good Packers memories fortunately for me in my life so far, but have been watching football ever since and have been enjoying it just as much. I had a question for later, but I want to, I want to jump it up because you said that, and that's a game, like that's a moment that is ingrained in me. And I remember, I think it was Javon Walker was one of the receivers at the time. And I remember him, uh, an interview clip of him saying, we knew for him to play today, we are going to catch, and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about this, we are going to catch anything in our vicinity today. 
And like legit, everyone was making spectacular catches. It's one of those moments where like you actually fall in love with the game of football and why it's so, so good. What do you love about football? What's your attraction to it? Uh, part of it for me is like chess meets like physical, uh, a physical sport where like uh, attrition is important and, 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 and who can assert their, their, their physicality, but also coaches who are scheming up each individual play as opposed to free flowing play. What, what attracts you to the sport of football? That's such a good question because it, I'm, I'm sure it's different for everyone, but it's, you know, at, at least today, like it's, it's that there's so much to learn about it and you're never going to really be an expert or like know everything about it. And things are changing, whether it's, it's scheme, obviously the fourth down decision-making stuff nowadays, like, there's just so much to it. And then you, again, you talked about it, like the, the game itself brings so much emotion. I, I keep seeing clips nowadays of the players talking on the field and in sort of the mic'd up situations. And they're just like out there having fun. Like it, you obviously see them tussling with each other every once in a while and, and stuff like that. But it's really like, they're just out there having fun and playing a game. And, it's, I think, super fascinating to analyze. Obviously, it being the biggest sport in the country helps because you have so many smart people interested in the sport and, and analyzing it, dissecting it, trying to find different ways to make it more interesting. I think over the last several years or so, I've I've sort of veered away from like, not that, not that I'm not a Packers fan anymore, but just being a fan of the NFL and fan of football and not attaching my my highs or lows to to one specific team but watching the the Monday night football game last night uh between the Chiefs and the Eagles just seeing Patrick Mahomes make some of those throws it's just it's absurd and then I went to Wisconsin uh UW Madison for for undergrad and I remember just having chills being in Camp Randall on a, a Saturday night and watching them play football like it's just it's such a fun atmosphere I think a lot of people can obviously relate to it but it's there's something different about football obviously there's the any given Sunday mantra which makes it interesting as well yeah it, it's it's to me like the level of intelligence that goes into football I think it, it the IQ of the people in the organization I think it operates at the highest level of any sport you yeah. said something that I found interesting you said like not just being a fan of your own team. I am a fan of organizations moving in the right direction or like making a lot of like, so when you said Eagles KC, I know your mind was on the field and my mind was, I love how Howie Roseman builds his roster and, and how, and, and their approach to like draft premium positions in the draft. And uh, don't be afraid to trade or sign a vet that will put you over the top. Like I like when organizations are moving in the right direction and doing a lot of smart moves. It doesn't even have to be a Miami. I just am a fan of smart organizations. But conversely, I also I can't understand the level of some uh, organizations and their ineptitude and why they think it, it would work. Um, that's part of the fascination. I am very much, as much as I love the on-the-field product, uh, the roster-building aspect of football is probably my favorite thing I would like being in a war room 
is oh i don't even have to be a general manager let me let me sweep the floor in the war room i just want to be inside a, a, a draft war room one day in my life just to experience what it's like in the first round of a draft yeah and it's it's one of those things because we all can make assumptions about why they why team did this why team did that and without actually being in the room like we're never going to get that level of insight and there's you know in a war room specifically maybe a dozen two dozen people who are like there and and totally understand the logic behind what's what's driving that decision like i was not a fan of the jordan love draft pick at the time but these are these guys are also like very smart like he got to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and understanding that rogers had been on the decline like they needed to sort of look towards the future given his performance. And, you know, at the time it was frustrating, especially with the way he went out and played, but they had their logic and reasoning for it. And it's it's a little frustrating because they don't have to explain that logic to to the fans or whatever. Like obviously the on-field results are theoretically going to show for themselves, but it it would be, yeah, it would be fascinating to just be a fly on the wall and and understand sort of how they're they're thinking the conversations that they're having too and just getting that level of insight which I, I which is i think why hard knocks is such a fascinating show i mean i know it's lost its its luster a little bit but it to still get that level of detail uh and sort of the behind the scenes look at some things is is always fascinating I want to talk to you about Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what the pros have known for 25 years. Everyday competitive odds, your trusted sports book. Bet smart, bet Pinnacle. Must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Not available in the U.S. Now back to the show. Yeah, and I love the um, social media clips whenever like Cowboys bring out why did they cho- chose Mozzie Smith and who it was between. Uh, I love uh, love that stuff where the Bills deciding to draft Cal- Dalton Kincaid and they didn't want to trade down. Uh, the Jaguars were actively trading down and they didn't want somebody to jump them for the tight end. Um, you know, the Packers got criticized for drafting Jordan Love, but there's a reason why the Packers had two starting quarterbacks for 34 years. They drafted Favre's replacement and groomed him uh to learn the offense and then like a team like miami uh who i'm a fan of has you know had been searching for dan marino's replacement for 20 years and like smart organizations understand and it's not just quarterback uh you know when the eagles know that they're eventually going to lose a couple defensive tackles to age or, or or free agency you know javon hargrave to free agency and fletcher cox is getting up there in age they're drafting jordan davis and um um and uh the big uh defensive tackle uh what's it what's his name jalen carter even if it's not an immediate need they understand the the the, the long-term aspect of you're gonna have to fill in key roles and drafting guys to replace the guys who are going to be ending right. up leaving your roster um when do you decide you know what uh i love sports so much i want to get some sort of job in this field i want to pursue a career path because a lot of people I think they have that aspiration as kids, but then eventually they're like, oh, reality, I got to get a normal job. Sports will just be something I watch on the side. There's very few people who say, no, I actually want to do this for a living. That's a fascinating question, and it requires a little bit of a backstory. So when I was in high school, I was you know, thinking about what I wanted to study in 
in college, at university, and I was very interested in marketing. I was very interested in sports. And so I thought, let's put together the two and do sports marketing. And I had done some informational interviews and I had talked with someone who worked in sports marketing at Wisconsin. And he was like, when you're in sports marketing, your life is sports. Like you're, you're doing it 24 seven, you know, you're help you're, you're hosting people for sponsorship, things like that. And you can't just like go home and use sports as your way escape from work or outlet, right? Like it's your life. So you're always living it. And that, that initially like scared me off from it. And I ended up going into corporate America, doing some marketing stuff, still did some, you know, sports analyst analysis on the side was playing fantasy football, all, all that sort of stuff. And again, was using it as an outlet. And then a couple of years ago was actually applying for some MBA programs and got rejected by the two that I had applied for and started taking, you know, thinking about what I could do to sort of boost my portfolio or I guess profile if I wanted to get into that in the future. And for some reason, I thought about doing some coding and followed some of the people that you mentioned, you know, Ben Baldwin, most uh, significantly Parker Fleming doing some sports analytics stuff on Twitter and just sort of gravitated towards doing some coding around the atmosphere of sports. And one thing turned into another, like I started a, a master's in data science because I realized I wanted to make that career switch and then was fortunate enough to sort of be in the right place in the right time to get offered a a full-time role with 444 and Betsperts, which started my my full-time career in this industry. That was, gosh, two years ago now, and then made the switch to Fantasy Pros earlier this year. But it was one of those things where I realized that, one, I love sports enough that I won't get sick of it, if you will. And I had the opportunity to work on different sports instead of just football. So it gave me a bit of a mix between, you know, doing football 24-7, 365, getting to work on some basketball, some golf stuff, but also sort of realizing that it's, I had hobbies outside of sports to be able to, to focus on and use as an outlet, as, as I've said, but it was one of those things where I don't know if I ever like really realized that I was sort of trending that way. And again, it, I got very, very lucky. I'm, I'm very, uh, very lucky to be where I am today because it's a competitive field and everyone, there are a lot of people who, who want to be in it. So it's, there's no one right journey, uh, to get into it, but there are certainly avenues to doing so. All right. You, you get the opportunity at four for four and bet spurts. Uh, is that the start of your betting and, and fantasy uh, or were you doing that way before uh, joining them? I was playing fantasy football. I mean, I've been playing fantasy football as, as long as I can remember. It wasn't until probably shortly before joining them where I started doing betting stuff, uh, betting on the side. It was around the time when betting got legalized in Illinois, which is where I lived. And 
started again following some some sharper people to to learn about how it works and and things like that and that was my sort of first foray into it and then realized i wanted to start doing some more analysis and, and tool building centered around fantasy football and sports betting and, and and is it player props or are you still like are you looking at sides and totals and betting other stuff as well it's mostly player props i mean i Sides and totals is, as you know, a, a very difficult thing to beat. And so the overlap too with player props and fantasy football is is pretty big. So when I'm doing my my weekly analysis for my fantasy football content, it's a pretty easy sort of lift and shift in terms of the analysis to say, okay, I think player X has a good matchup. His usage is looking good. I think he's going to do well in his fantasy uh first fantasy output this week and then sort of shifting that to okay how does that translate to his prop markets things like that sure so you're, you're measuring usage how good they do something who their opponent is uh what about coach speak because there's a great account um but it even before then people have been watching uh coaches pressers to find out uh exactly what they're saying about players and i've talked to adam levitan about this and he said you have to be careful with some coach speak is when a coach is directly asked about a player, he almost it's almost always like, yeah, we got to give him the ball more, right? And, and he goes, sometimes that's noisy, but when a player is brought up unprompted, uh, oftentimes some of that is really strong signal. Um, the Calvin Ridley stuff was fascinating. Um, uh, Benjamin Solak brought out some really, really good stats on on how they've been misusing him uh, or not or not you know, doing actively trying to free him. And Doug was asked about it. And, you know, he clearly, you know, he's clearly admitted that they probably had to do more to get Ridley. Some people were like, all right, this is a Ridley week. And if you bet him and you bet his ladders, you were really rewarded by it, especially against the Titans who are also a pass funnel defense. So my question is, you, you have your projected numbers. How much do you weigh in coach speak when, when approaching this? Yeah, it's, you know, it's like Adam said, like, you got to pick and choose the right spots to apply it and and thinking about it, or I guess listening to the right coaches too. like to your point, like, if a reporter asks Doug Peterson, you know, why is this going on with Ridley, he's going to talk about Calvin Ridley. So it's not, it's not necessarily him going out of his way to say, you know, we're doing everything right. But we also need to get Calvin Ridley the ball. I think you know, and, and Ben's article was great, but I think there are other confounding factors too that could have gone into him having a big week. Like you mentioned, the Titans being a big pass funnel. The Titans don't play a ton of press coverage as well, which is something that Calvin Ridley had struggled against. So, you know, whether you attribute what Doug Peterson said to to Calvin Ridley's success or, or Zay Jones being back, which I think the splits with him on and off the field for Ridley have helped the Jaguars sort of be able to move Calvin Ridley around the lineup and where they're getting him lined up. You got to take all of that context into consideration too. So I think it's one of those things where, again, you, you almost use it as a tiebreaker type thing where if you're, I guess, and this is more so from a fantasy football context, but if you're, you're deciding between two players and one has sort of glowing re remarks from the coach, like then maybe you go with him. 
uh, as a tiebreaker, or if you're sort of looking for that one extra push to to get this guy going, then I think you look at that. But the, it's it's all about context too, and I think the the Coach Speak Index uh, Twitter account that I think you're referring to is it's been phenomenal. Like it's interesting to again essentially hold these coaches accountable, but they are really only going to talk positively about these players like they'll be critical at some points but I mean you haven't seen Robert Sala say anything bad about Zach Wilson to this point uh, outside of him benching him this week so it's it's one of those things where they have to be careful about what they're saying too so that they don't burn bridges with the players in their building the easiest way to improve as a sports better is use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like BetStamp. BetStamp compares odds across every sports book for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by checking BetStamp before you bet. Download the app today. If you're looking to sign up for a new sports book account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Now back to the episode. Yeah, Sam, it's uh, training camp reports. Uh, I don't think anybody in the history of the NFL has had a bad training camp. If it has, nobody reports yeah. it because it's always this guy is looking great. Like we've seen, you know, baby T.O. This guy looks like a, a, a monster in training camp and, uh, and it doesn't pan out. I want to ask you about uh, weighing data and I, I want to talk about sample size and weighing recent data versus season-long data. And, and how do you value uh, a more recent sample size of like, say, four games versus a season long data, uh, putting like a decay on some earlier results or if something has fundamentally changed, you know, when Joe Burrow came back, Cincinnati's offensive data was kind of irrelevant um, previous to that calf finally being 100%. Mm-hmm. But it's also like the Packers, if you had been following the Packers uh, up until the last few games, you might think of them as like an under team. But the thing we've uh, uh, learned in the last couple of weeks is this Jordan Love offense is finally starting to look good. Once it started getting healthy and Aaron Jones was back and all his receivers. And also, frankly, their defense has gotten a lot worse. They, they Everybody's running the ball on them. And there's that switch gets flipped where if if you're not fast enough, you miss what's happening more recently. So how do you weigh recent data and this isn't this isn't overreacting to maybe one data point but maybe trending data last three or four weeks versus here's a season-long sample size of 10. what's the what's the uh what's the fine process of 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 the right uh mix of recipe of what you're looking for so i used to weigh you know i think the three or four game sample size is a good sort of snapshot of a team's recent performance and and tendencies and i've started to weigh that snapshot a bit more heavily than the season long stuff because there there are so many injuries that happen there are play calling coaching changes that happen throughout the year and you need to again put all of that into context like I, i feel like i'm saying putting it into context too much but you're also looking at the opponents that they're playing and, and things like that. And where I think you have an edge in, in betting or, or fantasy football is 
maybe putting a little bit more weight towards the even the one or two game sample sizes and trying to get out ahead of it be becoming a trend for that team as opposed to it just being a the exception to the rule for that team. So, you know, I think with with the Burrow example, like there were the reports for him, I think leading up to the San Francisco game where they were saying like, you know, all the restraints are off, like he's good to go. This is the healthiest he's been in a long time and I think they had already started throwing the ball just like a little bit more in the weeks prior and it set up for him to just sort of unload and then to have him drop back and pass a ton. And if you were early to that, you got rewarded a lot more heavily than, you know, three weeks down the road. Once they're already passing a ton, the the markets have caught up to him. The, the player values have caught up to the Bengals receivers and stuff like that. So I think it's more so not necessarily forgetting what happens earlier in the season, because that does matter, especially when, you know, a team has one set of players that were healthier in the year and, and maybe they get them all back. Like once Justin Jefferson returns for the Vikings, the player usage for Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson is going to change. So you can't, not that you can't use it, but you need to, to consider that as well. And then they're also, they also don't have Kirk Cousins. So that said, I think again, these, these two or three game samples, like if we're in week two or three or four, that's the only sample we have. And people are taking it as gospel. Like yeah. it's, it's all we have. So let's just make conclusions about what we've seen so far. You don't see people doing that once we have more data, which is fair to an extent, but I think there's a lot that can be gained from taking those more recent samples and, and weighing them more heavily. For sure. And especially um, rosters that had a lot of turnover, it's it's reasonable to expect or a scheme change in 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 whole like uh mm -hmm. it's reasonable to expect that you know their play in weeks eight to twelve are probably going to be a better indicator than the early uh growing pains right i want to ask you about reputation because obviously guys who have a long you know long career reputation uh is a lot more concrete but sometimes we declare something about a player uh or a team uh with a with not such a, a large sample size and, and um there's opportunities i find to buck that when when we we put somebody in a box and, and are unwilling to understand the the growth aspect of a position how do you um navigate when someone's reputation is better or worse than their actual results or output that's a really good question. I mean, I is there any players like that you think somebody whose reputation is probably better than their actual output and then somebody whose reputation is worse than the actual results they're getting that you think that there's a skew where people are overrating or underrating a player? I obviously he's hurt, but I think Kirk Cousins was give was criticized a little bit too harshly. And I think a lot of it is because of his performance in standalone games and it not being very good. Like he's a very good quarterback and like he plays well. He I don't necessarily think he 
elevates a team quite like, you know, Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow, guys like that. But he's certainly not as bad as, as guys like Zach Wilson. And people sort of talk, have talked like him, talked about him like that. So I, I, I think part of it, too, is having watched the Netflix documentary and, and making Kirk Cousins like an actual person that made me like him a little bit more. But I do think he doesn't he gets a worse rap than than he deserves at this point as far as the guys who are overrated that's a really tough one I'm, I'm like trying to think of some guys off the top of my head I mean it would be easy to say Brock Purdy because he's you know a lot of people think he's mounted up by the the play callers he has the the skill possession players he has but he's also in my opinion, much better and a much better fit than Jimmy Garoppolo ever was in that offense. So it's it's a fine balancing act. And I, I think people take those over or under reactions a little bit too far sometimes where they just dig their heels in on one one specific take. And then, you know, a, a season, half a season goes by and they're just picked picking apart stats that fit their narrative type thing. So those are the two guys I think that come to mind to me. And they're obviously pretty polarizing players, but don't, uh, I don't think match the the complete narrative. Well, you said a couple of things that I find interesting. Kirk cousins is, you know, it's, uh, I think Arjun jokes to the Kirkulian tier and we pretend like he's, you know, Derek Carr esque. And I'm like, cousins has a better up, upside than Derek Carr and I also think his floor is is is, is far yeah. better than Carr so I've never liked that I've, I've always thought Cousins is closer to 10 than he is to 16 uh, as is perceived that he's a middle of the ground quarterback what I was thinking for overrated is you know and it usually comes in the form of running backs but also I have an example of a wide receiver when when a player loses his burst his juice People, it takes a while for people to wrap their head around it. Like, uh, who was the running back uh, out of Arizona? I think it was David Johnson. And you could just tell the moment he lost his his juice. Or Zeke Elliott, right? You could tell um, Dalvin Cook was an example last year. There People who were watching, you're like, you know, his rush yards over expected was near the bottom of the league last year. And I know his... His numbers still look good, his raw data, but that that's because the O-line is very good in Minnesota. Yeah. And the guy, like DeAndre Hopkins is a version of that this year for me because it's he doesn't get open at all anymore. And it's not like he was always open before, but if he's not beating you on like contested catches, he doesn't get open. Um, and, I, and I think sometimes people will take a, a long-term reputation and still uh, and take a lot longer to figure out that a guy maybe has lost his juice now i say that i'm being a hypocrite because sometimes you know you have the derrick henry for two years i've been uh saying this guy's lost his juice and I, i've been you wrong. and me both yeah this year i'm right though i mean if you watch ty, ty j spears behind the same circumstances just looks like he has more 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 burst in his body right but i think like it's there's something tangible about when you watch a guy and there's no more burst explosion yeah. uh and and it takes people a while to get off the name recognition and uh especially if you play dynasty football leagues 
it's that moment, okay, it's time to sell. The returns on this guy are going to be diminishing. So that's just how I think of like overrated, underrated. You mentioned Patrick Mahomes, and he's so exciting to watch. Like I think his best attribute is not just his arm and his intelligence, is what he does when he's scrambling. It's so hard to tackle him. He's always keeping his eyes downfield. It's like third and 12. You get a really good pass rush on him. He breaks through the pocket and you're like, ah, oh, you just know it's a conversion. And I say, ha, because like if you bet against him in that spot, but it's fantastic to watch. Who's your favorite player to watch in the NFL? It doesn't have to be a quarterback. It could be any position group. Uh, who do you love watching play? I mean, Patrick Mahomes is certainly up there. He, you know, you talk about his scrambling and he's not, I, I, I don't think people put him in the quote-unquote athletic tier of quarterbacks like a Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts who are getting a ton of design rushes, but he has that athleticism to escape the pocket and seemingly knows where the first down marker is every time and will run out a half a foot past it. I think a couple of years ago, it was Alvin Kamara. I mean, I think his his balance and ability to just cut on a dime was incredible. Um, I really like Chris Olave as well. I think a lot of this is, is driven by who I have on my, my fantasy football yeah, teams. I, I, I've had both of them, but um, I mean, Justin Jefferson is, is incredible the way that he plays as well. I, I don't know. I think that's what I was mentioning earlier is I've become a fan of more so of players than teams mm. or uh, teams themselves. Like, being a Packers fan, I don't find it annoying how good Justin Jefferson is. Like I'm try, you try to live in the moment and understand and watch like how great these players are, and and yeah. being able to watch them. Um, God, who else are are my favorite players? I mean, like what Jameer Gibbs is doing is is really fun to see. He's got a little bit of that Alvin Kamara in in him, I think, um, and then Christian McCaffrey too. Like he's he's just always fun to watch just the way he's he's able to line up outside uh in a different spots and and be able to just act like a wide receiver i love watching and this is like so this is a rookie but i love watching devin witherspoon i love a corner that's willing to lay the boom down uh i'm enjoying having jalen ramsey and he gives me all the jalen ramsey vibes he is a threat as a run defender as much as he is in coverage. I really, really enjoy Devin Witherspoon. The other guy, now that you mentioned defensive side is Max Crosby. I mean, he, he's so good. Like it's, it's kind of a shame to, for him to be on a team as, as poor as the Raiders right now, but you can tell that he's still out there enjoying it. Like he is wrecking games and is just a, a force. I mean, he, I don't know if he'll be in the in the DPOI conversation, but he is certainly in and close to that tier of of the top edge rushers and the fire he plays with. I love the jawing after the whistle. I love a guy who plays it right to the edge. Um, Why do you think offensive football's you know been bad this year? Like, has defenses just figured out a way to slow down um, offenses from getting the big play? Or do you just think the level of quality of quarterback in the league is down right now? I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, the the fact that we've had 
what I think it's 10 rookie quarterbacks to have started at least one game, like as good as the prospects can be, you know, whether it's, it's CJ Stroud or, or Bryce Young, like they're still rookies. There are still going to be some growing pains for, for those guys. And to have 10 of them having started already is, is just kind of wild. I don't even know, like, how many total quarterbacks got drafted? Like what the max is that we could could hit this year? It was fourteen. Uh, oh, but you know, some of the, the the quarterbacks have been undrafted, so that that number might not even be accurate. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I think it's it's a little bit of that. I mean, you see even the way that the Chiefs' offense operates; like they're certainly not on the same level that they've been the past couple of years. And I think it's, again, some of these bigger trends about, you know, the two high safeties and things like that. And defense is starting to figure out how to account for some of these different offensive schemes is, is contributing to, to all of that. But I, I have to imagine that the, the quarterback play has a little bit more to do with that. Not only because we're getting less experienced guys, but the fact that they're coming in with without a full off season of of preparation or they're they're just coming off the street and things like that not being able to have that same level of chemistry that you would have working with these guys for for 3 4 months so it's i i hope i mean i can't handle another quarterback going down and to injury like again even you know obviously Joshua Dobbs has played pretty well for the the Vikings in the last couple of days but if if the vikings hadn't traded for him like that offense would probably be sputtering as well and it's just it, it would be a disaster in minnesota uh sam you talked about uh and i think in a lot of media gigs or or in certain fields sometimes you have to um, get lucky along the a road obviously hard work puts you in positions to get lucky but Sometimes it's just getting opportunities, the right break, the right person likes you, the right conversation, the right timing. What is your uh, future aspirations? Do you have a, a an ultimate goal in mind or are you just playing it by ear and how, however it flows? I think I'm just playing it by ear right now. I mean, I, I've been in this industry full time, like I said, for, for two years now, and it's such a different environment than what I was quote unquote raised by raised on being in a business school knowing like, okay, you're going to start off in, in this program, you're going to become a manager and then a director and then, you know, enter the C-suite. Like that was the theoretical natural stepping stones for your career. And not that those are all completely different now, but being in sports, like there there's just not necessarily as much structure, which I think I enjoy a little bit more. And a lot of these companies are, you know, unless you're working for like an ESPN or a CBS, they have a lot more of a startup feel, which mm -hmm. was very new to me two years ago when, when I started because I was used to, okay, you know, we're going to have monthly development conversations. We're going to do this and that. And it's, they put a lot more on you because you need to again sort of lift yourself up but there's also with that comes some of the freedom and flexibility to to work on the things that 
you enjoy working on and things like that. So I haven't honestly thought about the future a ton. I did not like, uh, I know Arjun wants to be a general manager or work in a front office. Uh, I would love to be uh, Rich Eisen. That they're, they're, That's a goal of mine. You don't have a job or a position that you're like, you know what, if I reach this in my life, this is something I'd be happy with. Not right now. I, I mean, I know for sure, like, I don't want to go on the team side. Like, that's just not a a lifestyle that I really, you know, as, as cool as it sounds, like, I can't imagine those type of working hours and that level of, of dedication that you need. So I, I prefer being on the sort of content and analysis, you know, consultation side of things, if you will, that... I don't really have a desire to to go work for a team, but yeah, right now I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just enjoying the moment and enjoying where I'm at. I'll figure out the future in, in a couple of years, I guess. And no rush. You are one of the younger uh, content creators out there and with a bright future. I'm the old guy who figured it out in my uh, mid to late thirties that this is, this is a goal. So I'm thinking, uh, all right, this is where I, I want to, chart out and uh maybe i'm less patient but sam i've uh i've enjoyed it i enjoy the the work you do the the charts you put out keep doing all the great work uh because guys like me really do appreciate it george thank you very much i uh like i said really appreciate you bringing me on let talking talking a little football and about career journeys thanks sam that's it for me another edition of 90 degrees is in the books i want to thank my guest sam hoppin data scientist for fantasy pros the sponsors of this podcast pinnacle and Betstamp, and my producer jason cooper thanks for listening do me a favor before you go like the content subscribe share and comment we'll be back next week with another guest on the 90 degrees podcast where we give an inside look into the sports betting industry that's it for me hope you enjoyed until next time